Welcome back, friends, fellow philosophers, and authors to this wild aisle writing cast. I have with me the vampire mall cop herself, the va or vampire bat hunter, definitely a basement bat hunter, Molly B. How are you doing, Molly? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. Uh, second podcast ever, so let's hope it goes well and that I get this uh, get this whole process like <laughs> under control because I really have no gonna... idea what I'm doing. It's going to go great. Do, do not worry about that. And today, uh, we're actually here to talk about uh, both point of view and narrative perspective. And we might even get into tense as well, because those things are interconnected. But before we do, Molly, why don't you let our listeners know just a little bit about yourself, um, what you write, and, and how you ended up on this podcast. Great. So I am Molly B on Minds and on my website. I do the occasional book review, and then I also write this ongoing short story series called Vampire Mall Cop. It's about a vampire who works as security in a haunted magic mall, and he goes around fighting monsters, protecting people, and generally enjoying his job. Uh, it's lots of fun. People seem to like it. Everybody should read it. Uh, <laughs> and... I was invited on by Marquez after helping um, him and Amaya Tenchi record a uh, a snippet for uh, of Amaya Tenchi's book, Dracula's Guest. And that was sort of like the first time I uh, got to know you. And now I'm on the show. Woohoo! <laughs> Yeah, so everyone go check that out. Um, Amaya Tenshi, Dracula's Guest. I think it's got up on my YouTube channel, but just search it up, find it somewhere. Here are our awesome audio excerpt that we worked very, very hard on. And make sure you go check out uh, Molly B's writing, because that's all freely available to the public to read. Am I right on that? Yes. I. It's all on my uh, free WordPress website. So that's going to be mollyb.com spelled out dot blog and then an actual dot wordpress.com because i didn't buy a domain name which uh, that's something i should do <laughs> at some point <laughs> right now it's all free um for everybody to see there is going to be i'm working on a larger project i'm working on a kindle vela that's a longer form vampire mall cop story and for that the only first three chapters are going to be free so for before that comes out, anybody who's interested better catch up on all their VMC lore, which can be found on my website, uh, all free and all in cute little uh, short story anthology blog post things. Yeah, everyone, go ahead and check that out. And uh, congratulations, Molly. You're the, the first guest to get to show your stuff first. Uh, because before we begin, I'm going to direct everyone over to wildisle.com in particular for my kickstarter campaign that's right i have another kickstarter campaign after the terrible crash and burn like a flaming zephyr falling down into the city below bursting buildings into flame um no so this time we're, go we're gonna make it i think uh worked pretty hard to get this thing looking really nice and what is it for you might be asking uh, i am going to commission a number of art pieces from two different uh uh, artists that I happen to know, one local here uh, in Wheeling, West Virginia, the other, uh, another author actually as well, who I suddenly discovered was an excellent artist one day. And he's like, why didn't you tell me this, sir? Uh, so I'm going to be redoing 
the book covers for uh, Once Book Broken. We'll just book cover for that one book so that I've got a continuity. And I'm going to be commissioning from that particular artist I just mentioned, that fellow author, a series of book covers for the Tales from the Labyrinth, uh, which I've called a collection of short stories, but I have been notified that it's not a short story once it is like 80 to 100 pages to beyond that long. At that point, I guess it's like a short novella. Uh, so you get a ton of material. I'm releasing those in batches before you finally get the hard collection. And they're each going to have cool covers um, split between the two two bundles because you'll get two long stories per bit. And the other uh, local artist is going to be doing art for a Choose Your Adventure kids book. Um, it's going to be in the Little Nobodies series. Um, this one's called Twas an Accident. It's going to teach. It's, it's meant for like parents to read with their very young children uh, so they can make choices in life and see what happens when you make choices because sometimes it turns out how you would think and sometimes it doesn't. And it's going to be adorable and fun and probably kind of dark. Um, who knows if that will be totally proper and appropriate, but you should give it a chance. Check out the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, because I really like to commission this art. It's going to take a lot of time and effort on their parts. Um, and I really want to see this come into being. And I'm not even going to show my other stuff except for my editing service, because that is the major way that I eat. So check out the Wild Isle style guide while you're there at wildislelit.com. And without further ado, let us get to the point of perspective, POV versus narrative perspective, and the differences they make in a work of fiction. All right, so on this pod, yeah, right. So on this podcast, Molly, we are proper philosophers, and we always start by defining our terms so that we and our listeners know what the hell we're talking about. Uh, but it's kind of a, a toss-up between whether we want to talk about point of view first or if we want to talk about narrative perspective first, because I tried to note them out, and I noticed that they are very interconnected, despite the fact that they are distinct from one another, as far as I'm aware. Um, so I'm going to throw this over to you. What would you like to define first? Would you like to define point of view or narrative perspective? Uh, let's do point of view. Uh, that just feels more uh, specific to me. And then narrative perspective, I think, is more of an enveloping term that also includes point of view, or at least that's what the uh, the blog that I am reading to research right now. So I have, so it sounds like I know what I'm talking about is telling me. <laughs> All right, we'll break. Uh, do you want to break down point of view for us, or do you want to toss it back to me? What do you want to do, Molly B? Uh, I'll take a crack at it. So point of view is basically the filter in which your story is uh told from whether it's being told from a character's like straight from the character's mouth or from a narrative a narrator sorry or if it's a second person point of view straight to you so it really it's uh boiled down it's basically just who's the one telling the story that's not the author yeah, that seems to be pretty on point in terms of, you know, if you pick up, because um, I used to teach literature courses, I'm sure the listeners are tired of me mentioning this, uh, but I have different people on, so you people, you got to hear the same things again, right? If you can listen to Joe Rogan talk about bandwidth a thousand times, you can put up with it. Um, but yeah, so uh, you open up a literature textbook, and that's how it was defined. Though, when I was in 
grad school, uh, a guy, we had a guest lecturer come up and talk to us. And he talked to us about point of view. And he in particular was like um, a nonfiction writer. So he would go and find people's real stories and write about them. And he had this really interesting way of looking at point of view because of his experience writing nonfiction as a point as opposed to fiction. Because even fiction, you can kind of play around with your point of view, not totally arbitrarily, but you've got a lot more leniency where like unless you're writing a memoir, you're kind of, you know, you can't really dip into first person, right? So you're, you're, you're stuck. And what he said, which I thought was really cool, was, okay, so first person point of view is the narrator telling the story to the reader. That's one person telling the story to the reader. Second person is the narrator telling the story about the reader, now making the reader the second person. And then third person is the narrator. Yeah, right? Yeah, right. When I heard this, I was like, oh my God, now I understand. And so the third person is narrator telling the story to the reader about another person. And that's the third person, right? So in the third person, you've got the narrator, you've got you, and you're learning about somebody else. And that's why it's first, second, and third person. I don't know. I thought that was cool. What do you think about that little uh, description? I love that. Of that's so clever. That's like a brilliant way to uh, to remember it, too. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah I, I've been using that ever since I heard it. Um, I like it because it really tells you about the relationships between who's telling the story and um, the person receiving it, and then the subject matter of the story. And that can help inform a lot of authors about what they want to do. Another way that I, when I taught point of view, I would tell that story, but I actually, um, I wanted something that I could juxtapose against narrative perspective to break it from it. I know you mentioned that it's enveloping and you're correct, right? Narrative perspective is entangled. But the problem is when you're teaching, let's say, modern undergraduate students um, and you're trying to get them to understand a concept, uh, their minds are a bit muddled. I, I hate to say it's very, it's very difficult sometimes. And so what I what I said is okay, look, point of view is where the storyteller is right it's the location relative to the subject matter um, and the recipient of the information which kind of makes sense right that fits into that little cutesy example we just gave right because we're saying the narrator is here relative to the recipient relative to the subject right yes uh, and the reason I, I say where is because when we get over to narrative perspective which we'll probably go in and define now uh, I'll throw out my once uh it's not even a sentence it's a phrase right my phrase definition for narrative perspective it is who is telling the story as opposed to where is the story being told from now does that make sense uh, on the face of it why i would juxtapose where versus who for where being point of view and who being narrative perspective does that make sense on the face of it um I might need some more explanation to to fully get that because point of view seems like a who thing to me. It, it kind of, right? So the reason why I attribute who to narrative perspective is because once you have the perspective of the narrator, that 
is the the I guess we're going to go deep into perspective here. We're starting to think about the the biases and the values of that narrator, what that narrator does and does not want to share with the reader. Uh, we are considering uh, when the narrator is telling this, like, is this in a journal? Is this the narrator recounting a memory? Is this in present tense happening right now? Uh, and so what is and is not described is filtered through the personality of that perspective character or perspective narrator, if we're going to be more accurate, because we've got, uh, let's say, non-character narrators to consider as well. As opposed to with point of view, um, we are not really so much concerned with who, right? Like if you have a first person point of view versus a third person point of view, technically speaking, the third person could be God, like a God-like figure, like the, the big voice that narrates over the world, like you see in a lot of epic fantasy. But a third sure. person point of view could be another character in the story too. Right. Like he could like the third person could be a bystander who's like just watching this all happen. And that used to be a let's say common convention used in older fiction where the narrator was there. They just weren't important to the story. So they're just some dude on the on the sideline that's watching this all happen, sort of like a news reporter. Right. Um but you know, it being third doesn't really tell you who it is. It just tells you where that person is. It's not that person isn't in the uh, let's say in the the driver's seat telling you the story is that person is telling you about some again third about someone else versus first they're telling you about themselves second they're telling you about you right so that's why I, I i juxtapose who against where when it comes to point of view and narrative perspective did that clean that up a little bit that did thank you <laughs> Yeah. And does that fit with your, because uh, we, we talked a little, I you know, you got a chance to talk about point of view. Did that fit in with your uh, definitions and understanding for narrative perspective so far, or have we run into any contradictions? I would say it does. Um, up until now, I've pretty much used them interchangeably. <laughs> so yeah, so far there haven't been, uh, there haven't been any clashes. Yeah, well, that's, that's good, actually. Yeah, that's good. I'm I'm glad, actually, because most people, like probably 99% of people, will use them interchangeably. It was only my professor, uh, first term in grad school, who pointed out to me that they were different and made me aware. So by the time I got to really studying on my own post-grad school, um, that I was able to really make use of it. Okay, so let's go a little bit deeper into the conversation, right? So now we have this these two different ideas. We've got the the perspective filter, and we've got the location of the narrator as these two variables we can play around with. Now, this, this will be an easy one. So we've already gone through first, second, and third, so we know what those are. But what are the... Um, the narrative perspective types that we typically run into in your experience? Uh, well, there's definitely the first, second, third, and then there's also um, when third gets divided into two, you got the third person limited and then omniscient. Yeah, um, right. So what's limited? For, for those probably. people, those listeners out there, if you say third person limited perspective, what do you mean by that? 
so third person limited perspective is when the narrator when the third person narrator is telling you the story but they're pretty much just like hovering over one character and like looking over their shoulder and through their eyes whereas omniscient it's just like zoomed out and it's basically everything um the the narrator could just tell you about anything going on in that world in that story whether or not the character that they are or are not necessarily following knows about it yeah and um how, are you familiar with the subdivision of um objective or non objective omniscient narrators as being you've got the classic third omniscient which is exactly what you just described and an omniscient yet objective narrator are you familiar with that term uh a little bit uh, so I'll, I'll 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 speak on that one right so one of my favorite novels that super influenced my writing uh which is also probably the major critique of my writing is a, a certain lack of clarity. It's because uh, I read Cormac McCarthy in grad school. So everyone can blame Cormac McCarthy, uh, particular, particularly his books, um, The Road and Blood Meridian, like a lot Blood Meridian, like very much Blood Meridian. And uh, Blood Meridian in particular uses an objective narrator. So what that means is we are in third, right? So third person, we're omniscient because it's kind of like a god telling the story, right? So it's, a, it's not a character in the world. It's the voice above it. But there is a limitation imposed of, on this narrator where in an third-person omniscient objective narration, there is no comment on the character's interiority, so we don't get to go into anyone's head at all. But there's also no moral judgment on the part of the narrator. Uh, and so what that means is that everything is described, not necessarily literally. In fact, in that book, a lot is not described literally, but it's not described in moral terms, right? So the narrator is not judging the character's actions. The narrator is merely describing the actions um, in Blood Meridian's case, and often a very poetic way, uh, which is very, very interesting. We'll get into the advantages and disadvantages um, later on. Uh, but yeah, so have you have you had any experience reading uh, any narratives with that particular, uh, let's say, point of view and perspective, third obje uh, third omniscient objective before? Um. None stick out to me right now, but your explanation um, does make me think of, so we described the uh, third person omniscient as basically just a newscaster, uh, like telling everything that was going on, right? But then the third person omniscient objective would just be the camera and like nobody, <laughs> nobody offering any guidance, the readers on their own. Yeah, essentially. Uh, action very essentially. Uh, yes. So even even more objective than a supposed newscaster style narrator journalist, right? And we all know how how uh, let's say morally loaded a real person newscaster is. So like an omniscient narrator who's tapping into thoughts is definitely going to even then be a little bit a little bit biased in favor of one set of characters or the other, something like that. I guess that um, 
that gets us into the conversation about why we would pick these, right? So um, at this point, we're going to end up having to talk about these inter intertangled, right? So we've got first, and uh, you mentioned that third third person was split, but first person is never split as far as I'm concerned, right? I've never seen an example of anything other than first person limited by its very nature. Is that also your understanding? Uh, that was my understanding until I did some research uh, before coming on. There was, it wasn't so much a way to totally split first person. Oh, let me see if I can find it. Because I thought it was very interesting. Um, oh, come on. It was sort of like a first person omniscient. I don't remember the book that they used as the example, but the story, it was somebody narrating something that they had witnessed when they were like a little kid, but they were narrating it as an adult. So like part of it was just the first person from when they were a little kid, but then the omniscient part comes in because like now they're an adult and they have like an adult understanding of what they had seen as they were a little kid. So there was like more of the more of the context and more stuff to fill in. Mm. So there's that. But that's not completely a split because it's still the same person. So like I'm not Yeah. I'm not totally sure how to categorize that. <laughs> if I had to take a swing at it, um I would say it's definitely still first person, but what we're running into is a um, a limited way of thinking about writing that people get caught in. So this is a little bit off topic, but not very. Um, you're familiar, I'm sure, with the term head hopping. Have you heard that before? Yes. Okay. So um, now head hopping is a legitimate error you can make. But the issue with head hopping is that it has this weird overlap period with narrative filters and um, let's say natural inference. So in this case, once you have the character not be a kid anymore and is an adult, uh, the adult can make inferences that the child would not be able to make. And if now if you're assuming your reader is intelligent, which I'm assuming this these, this particular kind of work would do to be telling this type of story, you assume that the reader is going to understand that um, the character does not suddenly gain mind-reading powers, and we're also going to assume that the um, the author is not suddenly making uh, a narrative perspective error, right? Like the author isn't suddenly narrating someone's thoughts because they forgot the point of view and perspective that they were writing in. What we would assume then is that when the narrator tells the reader something, the narrator is telling the reader what he or she believes to be the case in the same way that you might say uh, that someone felt something or was intending to do something when it's very clear to you by their actions or by their uh, words or by their facial expressions that those were their feelings or their intentions, right? And so I think that that gets tricky because there's something about um, writing and particularly depends on the point of view that people 
when they start to read, treat the narrator like an infallible authority unless they have a specific reason to say this is the unreliable narrator, right? Which is kind of a, a, a sub perspective that you could put in there if we want to talk about that. But uh, my, and tell me if you feel differently about this since I've been rambling on. Whether we're talking about first or third, I actually do not think that any narrator is like should be just assumed 100% reliable. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I would always assume that unless we're dealing with like maybe, maybe some third omniscient narration, you could say is like, like, okay, this is, this is reliable, like assumed to be reliable. But outside of that, you would assume that, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Even if it is, I'd say, unless it's a third person omniscient objective uh, narrator, then there can always be some room for doubt because there's in a, in for, for word form, like when you're reading stuff, you can't focus on like everything all at the same time uh when you're reading it there's usually just one thing brought to the attention uh of the reader at one point and then the narrator is the one like choosing what to focus on and potentially what to hide so there definitely is opportunity for um even a third person omniscient or yeah third person omniscient narrator to uh to be unreliable And yeah, I don't know so, if I'm if I'm cheating when I when I bring up this example, but have you ever played the game uh, the Stanley Parable? I have not. Please explain to me the Stanley Parable. Okay. So I've never played it either, but I watch a lot of playthroughs because it's really funny, and because I really like the voice actor for the for the narrator. I think he has just like the coolest British accent ever. So, um, uh, the game is you're this guy in an office you're stanley and then the game starts when you're at your desk one day and then everybody in the office building disappears and you walk out the office and then there's this narrator going like everyone was gone what had happened and then you go like around exploring the office and then eventually you get to like um some diverging pathways and then the narrator like a door on the left and then the door on the right and then then the narrator will go and then stanley turned left and then you can either follow the narrator or you could not follow him. And then you don't know if the narrator is on your side or not. Like, there's a ton of different endings for it. Um, in some of them, you, like, work with him and then there's, like, a happy ending. But then sometimes uh, he just sort of, he doesn't really go nuts because he only gets mad when, when Stanley doesn't listen to him. But then, like, he blows up the whole the whole building. So that would... Even though it's not a book, that's also in um, that's also a third person objective narrator who's also a character who's like totally unreliable because you have no idea what his deal is. Yeah, it just it points out that just because a thing seems like essentially like a deity like figure, it doesn't mean that it's honest, right? Uh, or yeah. it doesn't mean it has your yeah, right. Um, okay, so that that's kind of where we, we let, went down that rabbit hole through talking about head hopping, which is talking about first and whether or not first person is always necessarily limited. 
I think for the sake of the conversation, uh, we're probably mostly thinking about you know the classic first person limited perspective that you you would typically see, and this is all couched in the question of why. Uh, now, before I ask this, um, what is your experience writing in different, uh, let's say, well, we're talking about points of view now. What's your experience with writing in point of view? Are you a first person point of view writer? Are you a third? Do you switch back and forth? Um. I've dabbled in both. I wrote a science fiction trilogy that was third person omniscient. And I only call it that because there were, eh, maybe it was more limited. Maybe I just like messed up with head hopping. I, there, that thing's not completely edited and I, it's probably going to stay shelved for a long time. I don't know what, what its deal is, but I wrote a uh, third person for that. And I did want to, I wanted that to stay third person because I did want time both in the protagonist's head and in the antagonist's head. Um, because I wanted to highlight that the antagonist was actually like a pretty decent person and that the protagonist was actually totally unhinged. But then if you just stay in her head that whole time, you're never going to know. She's going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm trapped on this spaceship with this evil scientist who's going to, like, dissect me. He's an evil scumbag, and I hate him. And then he's actually just like, well, well, chill out. I'm actually not evil. I also hate that I do this, but I'm trying to stop a bigger problem, and I think that your alien species has the answer. So stop trying to claw my face off, please. Um, so I, I wanted to show both sides of that there and then for vampire mall cop it's pretty much all first person there are like three short stories where they didn't follow the vampire mall cop so i had those ones uh third person limited because they followed another character who was specifically keeping something secret from the vampire mall cop uh and i couldn't have first person there because then it, it's not the vampire mall cop he's he's the main character it's his thing uh, but yeah, so I've had both. I prefer first person. I find it more fun. Yeah. And that, that leads right into my question. So what makes first person more fun? What advantages do you find that you have? And once you're, you're done rattling off as much as you can go down there, do you ever find, oh, you just mentioned one particular limitation, right? So talk about the limitations that you end up running into as well. So what are the advantages, the fun parts of first-person point of view when you're writing? And what are the uh, limitations, the disadvantages? Well, the main limitation that I would say is in first-person is you only know what the character knows. If you want the reader to know something else, you either have to find a different character or you have to just find a different character and then follow them in third person because uh, there needs to be like some way to give that information to the reader. Uh, so it kind of, there's not as much opportunity for dramatic irony, uh, which is okay. I mean, there are ways to work around that, like finding another character for like a chapter or two or, or whatnot. Um, the things that I like about first person I definitely like that you're in the character's head, that you're experiencing stuff uh, right next to them and that you can read their thoughts. And then also, uh, first person seems like more 
casual to me. Because you're, you're in the, the character's head. They're not going to be, um, unless you're, hmm, uh, I'm trying to think of a way to, to word this. Um, they're not, it's not like a narrator who's sort of like brushing things up to make it look more, like more presentable, like more like a story. You're just in, you're just, they're experiencing stuff with the character. Um, and then because of that, I usually try to interpret a bit of comedy into Vampire Mall Cop. And because it's so less formal, I would say, than third person, um, I can just sort of follow the main character's train of thought. And then, like, maybe he says something that would be, like, really stupid if he said it out loud. But then in his train of thought, you're like, oh, okay, that's that's actually kind of funny. Um, there, there have been a, a few instances of that. There, there was this one story where he um he and his friends were trying to like lure this uh local superhero into a trap and he was uh he had to pretend to be like the arch nemesis except instead of like the super high tech mech suit that the arch nemesis has he just has like a bee costume from party city um and so he he thinks the whole plan is stupid and then at one point um uh like it starts to work and then he's he's pretending to be the villain and then he's like i laughed and something like an evil ge- an evil bee genius a genius if you will and like if that was dialogue that would be so stupid <laughs> but since it's like cuz regular people are regular people they think silly things like that all the time and then they just don't say them because saying them would be really stupid. <laughs> but I, I like the opportunity that I can just sort of have those silly moments without making the character look like the total buffoon. Yeah, you get the you get to play with um, the voice, right? Um, this is a very big pretentious concept we talked a lot about in grad school, but it's a real thing, right? The the narrative voice in first person, in a way. You just can't get away with typically in third person, uh, unless you're writing like I don't know, like a Victorian era novel where the third person, you know, like I mentioned before, the convention was to have it be a character reporting on other people, and then you could kind of give them a voice of the person of the time because they're they're a person telling the story. But of course, during that era, they were way more formal than we are now, and so you're still stuck, right? Yeah, you're still. You're yeah, still... I remember. Um... I was, I read uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and that was told like that. But then the narrator character, his, basically his main personality trait is that he was boring. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, and then even, I I like, I, no, I don't want to say Sherlock Holmes, because Watson does have character. Watson is important. Watson's not whatever his name narrator character is from uh dr jekyll and mr hyde but like you think sherlock holmes you think sherlock holmes you don't think watson (laughs) and he does have some he he is important but i feel like he's mostly important to just show the readers what sherlock holmes is doing and how he does it (laughs) 
yeah, there there is a certain um, limitation as you're trying to pull away from the the first person, where you just get stuck in a consistent. You could think of it as like a a monotone, like the formal monotone voice. Um, but I think that's really what the uh, you could call it a dialectic, if we will, right? Between having that variability, that uniqueness, that that particular flavor of voice, that really uh, can can be quite entertaining in and of itself versus something like consistency across a work, right? Um, and that's the kind of question I can ask if you've ever run into this. So I know some authors um, will see this as an issue uh, because I tend to write in an episodic nature. I haven't run into it quite yet. Um, but they, they find writing in a single character's voice, particularly when that voice is very expressive, like we're talking about, being difficult to maintain uh, consistently across a piece or it getting uh, obtuse and kind of, okay, I've had enough of this voice after the work has gone on super long. Have you encountered either of those issues as an author? Um, I'd say if somebody does encounter that issue, they should probably go on like a walk or something. Uh too much too much of anything is bad for you and if you're reaching the point where you're like sick of something like that don't don't force it <laughs> um i haven't run into that and i write the vampire mall cop is both the short story serials and then i also have the longer vela which is more of a novel i haven't really found that i haven't really found that to be an issue and it's the, there's a pretty small cast overall, so it's not even like there. There's a bunch of other characters that the main character would interact with to like sort of be a distraction from it. There's like five, five prominent characters, and only two of them take up like most of the page time. So it's it's just yeah. I um I haven't run into that, but maybe that's just because I really like uh. I really like Damien, and he's he's the vampire ball cop. He's really fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, when you learn to not take, and I I think this is actually a virtue, um, at least it was for me. So between, I have like a first book, Salt, Sand, and Blood, which is awful, um, and I've discontinued the series and unpublished it. Though there's apparently a few available, if like three, I think three more, if people want to buy them, and after that that they're they're gone so please don't buy them actually because i'm just kind of ashamed of it. but i i took myself very seriously for most of the writing of that story and um, i did have a bit of a that pull toward being neutral and I, I was kind of afraid to be too expressive until i hit a certain point where i realized wait a minute as an author i'm having way more fun if i write in a way that's fun for me. And I bet my reader will also be having more fun if I write in a fun way. If the prose, the very the composition and style of the prose, right, and the voice of the narrator is engaging in a particular way. Um, and then that gave birth to everything that came after, right? So the Wan Smoke series is uh, in particularly notable for the array of distinctive voices that the characters have. Um, that, though, I have noticed, and, may, and this is my follow-up question, has led to a lack of clarity 
sometimes. And you mentioned before, like if you want to convey certain information with first person, you have to kind of employ certain literary devices to do it due to the nature of the hyper limited perspective. Um, but you know, when you're dealing with first person point of view, what I find is if you're unwilling to do like really kind of clunky and wonky um, dialogue exposition, uh, what I've I've seen is that some readers, particularly people who are very very used to having everything explained to them, so like if they have to think and stop, they get like really jarred out of stories. Um, now, and that's that. That might be a legitimate issue, right? Um, that maybe I don't have because I approach fiction in a similar way to I approach that I approach nonfiction, which maybe makes me a weirdo. But have you had that problem with clarity and giving information clearly to readers um, being in, infringed upon, essentially by the point of view? Hmm. Not that I've not, it's not really a thing that I've struggled with a lot. Um, like if I'm reading a story and I feel like I'm not getting enough and I don't understand it, I'll, I'll usually just put it down. Uh, and then if I'm writing something and I have to, and it's in say like Vampire Mall Cop, uh, if it's first person and I have to convey something to the reader that the main character can't convey to the reader because he's not supposed to know i'll i'll find a way around that i'll pick another character and follow them for a little bit just long enough to give the readers whatever they need uh especially because first because maybe maybe in nonfiction it would would be a bit trickier but with fiction it's super flexible you could do pretty much whatever um yeah those those are my thoughts on that at least <laughs> okay it's probably a, a bit of a me thing um and my love of multiple origin points um to give a, a quick example of what i was talking about because it's, it's probably not obvious to you look at my work so you've got this island um little island nation and there's different little essentially like almost like city states and there are these fairy creatures and they the different people talk about them differently because they come from different backgrounds uh they come from different ethnic groups and so they don't all have the same words for things and furthermore there are general categories that each of these things fall into right so like you've got cats and dogs but like dogs are the can are canines right and like are the of the canid branch and like wolves also count there and like also you've got big cats and like small cats and they're not the same it's like a, a you know a mountain lion it's not the same thing as a house cat um and you get some confusion a particular uh bit that perhaps confuses i was hoping it was going to clarify thing a little girl walks up to a, a stranger's door she knocks on the door and um the the girl inside is afraid that it's like a fairy trying to kidnap her and she's like uh you ain't a brownie is you and then the little girl's like what's a brownie and she basically describes a house elf and then she's like you mean a kobold and they're like what's a kobold and she basically said what you just described 
And then they, you know, they have to figure out, oh, wait a minute, we have two different names for the same thing type of deal. That's a bit of uh, first-person confusion that I've uh, sewed into my readers' minds for the clarity of those all listening out there. But let's move on from first. We've been on there for a while. And uh, move on to third limited, right? So we talked about the advantages of voice uh, with first and the disadvantage and limitation of what you can and can't communicate. Uh, so if we're talking about third per, uh, third person point of view, because uh, we're going to kind of skip over a second because it's so rare, and we talk about the advantages of third limited, and then we'll jump into third omniscient. So in your experience, like what reasons have you to jump into third limited? You kind of mentioned them a little bit earlier. And uh, what did you like about doing it? And what did you find maybe not as good? Um, so for third limited, I it's a cross between third omniscient and first person. You're still in the character's head, but just like not entirely in their head. It's like you're standing on their shoulder, like sort of next to their ear. You can still see what's going on with them, but then if necessary, you can uh, take a step back and sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe like get context for something that's happening. Something that, something that the reader would need to know, but something that the character wouldn't necessarily have, like be actively thinking about. Um, in uh in my novel, I'm trying to think of an example there. Uh, there's when it starts, the main character she wakes up, she's out floating in the middle of the sp- in the middle of outer space. She's got like no supplies. She's about to die. So her focus is like, I need to like find food and stuff and air. Well, air is not as urgent because uh, that's alien biology thing. Um, but her thing is basically, I need to, I need to get out of this situation right now so I don't die. Um, and if it was, if it was in her head, it would just sort of be that on repeat. Whereas in the third person limited, I do have a little of that. Uh, Like I have her thinking that I have her worrying, but then I also have, um, the, the looming spaceship in the distance that, uh, she only sort of notices. Uh, so then there's more, like, intrigue for that, because then you, there's the aspect of dramatic irony, or a little bit of it, because the the reader has uh, further scope than the, the characters do. Mm, yeah, you can, you have more uh, leeway to, you know, say something like, oh, well, you know, you know, out of the corner of her eye, she, you know, took faint or took fleeting notice of the ship sort like you know cruising on the horizon rounding the planet um it gave it little regard you know, despite the fact that it you know it very well blah, blah 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 and then you just keep going right you can't do that in first but you can you can kind of slip that way in third and like even if you tried to bring something tiny like that up in first person it would it would come across as like unnecessary and like sporadic like oh i'm panicking i need to like find supplies what's that in the corner of my eye i'm panicking i need supplies or else i'll die like that would be weird (laughs) yeah i've only had uh i think one instance in first person where i've had a moment 
like that where um essentially i've got like these teenage characters it's a classic like young guy has crush on young girl uh young girl has essentially like parent issues and so she's not very good with uh dealing with her own emotions and feelings and uh you have to be really careful when you do something like this but you know i i got away with maybe one moment of like and i feel this weird way why do i feel like that nope nope i'm not doing that and then like like there's a conscious redirection of attention that rarely rarely happens with anyone like this character happens to be like a kind of a genius and like very hyper self aware and so like i again okay, even even then you can get away with it like one time uh but you can't keep doing that because uh it's it's unnatural right it just seems like why are, why did this happen who thinks this way right um yeah yeah it's so what about the advantage third? of like uh you're able to to show more but then the disadvantage of uh oh gosh what was i gonna say <laughs> Uh, but then the disadvantage of like you, you gotta be believable. You you can't just like throw stuff at the reader. You gotta have some sort of sense to it, sense to the madness. Yeah. What about voice? Because I know with first we talked about voice being a big deal. How much of the unique voice do you lose just stepping into third limited? Um, a fair bit of it. Uh, like, I can't have, uh, I wouldn't be able to have Damien's funny tangents in, in Third Limited, but also there is, um, a scene where, uh, characters freaking out because he accidentally reassembled Pangea in the, in the science fiction novel. Um, I have him, it, it starts with him, um, like it going he thought this and then it just sort of like spirals and continues on his thought but then he's like i gotta stop panicking he thought and then he does like some stuff and tries to fix the problem he doesn't spoiler alert uh he he doesn't break pangea back apart um yeah but yeah it it does it does make it trickier because you sort of have to a narrator wouldn't be in the character's head all the time it's like you just on their shoulder like you can dip in and out of their thoughts but too much and then it starts to feel like first person and then too little and you're like hey what happened to the characters i thought we were following them i thought they were the the thing that was keeping the story going yeah, you have to straddle the line where, like, if too much of the text is in italics, it's like, like you said, why is this not in first? Like, if you're just gonna yeah. have, yeah, right. I've seen, um, I've seen some amateur work in its early draft phases, or even some of my work when I was working on Salt, Sand, and Blood way back at the beginning, like, I don't know how many years ago now, eight, nine, ten years ago when I first started. Um, yeah, I would do that where I'd have like way too much italicized thoughts and thinking like, wait a minute, what am I doing with this? Cause that was third limited. So we lost a little bit of the, the unique or a lot of bit of the unique voice in third limited. Now, if we move to third omniscient, like what happens? Cause we talked about the formality issue, but, um, you know, now we're in, we're in a whole different ballpark. Yes. 
Yeah, I will admit I don't have much I don't have too much experience with uh third omniscient. I I don't think I ever write it. <laughs> uh to be frank, I don't think um uh, I know I have written stories in third omniscient before, but like stories. I never went into and decided to do it. I actually don't think third person omniscient narrators are very common, uh, particularly anymore. Now you see them again in these big epics, but uh, I think that you lose so much what we might call psychic closeness. Like even though you can dip into any character's thought, this this is where I think the overlap between POV and perspective really entangles, right? Once you're omniscient and you have all of the characters' thoughts, then you're never really biased toward one particular character in terms of their interior state of mind. But then if you don't have that bias, you lose a little bit of sympathy that you automatically gain from being very close to that character and hearing their more genuine natural thoughts and voice come about. And so once once you go into third omniscient, I think you're really, really leaning on, uh, from an author's perspective, like you're leaning on your ability to write really essentially gripping and uh, engaging prose, as well as you're, you're leaning more on the plot and less on the characters, right? Because the less of the characters' personalities are going to be, uh, or rather, each character will have his or her personality delved into less than they would than if you had, uh, you know, one or a few limited perspective characters. Is, do you think that's a, a right description? Yeah, with... With the bigger scope, you definitely lose some of the connection that you'll have with uh, with the other characters. It's it's you see more, but it's less immersive. Uh, if I could put it like that. Yeah. Do you think it helps out with um, let's say stories where the setting is a big is a big element um, rather than the characters? Probably could because you mentioned that um, a lot of epics are are written like that. I'm I'm thinking of of the Iliad and how it. I mean, you get plenty of time uh, learning what Achilles's deal is because he's just a big grumpy pants for for most of it. Uh, but then when Achilles is off in his tent uh, moping, you see like the whole battlefield and you're not really in anybody's head. You're just sort of like hopping around like, Oh, Hey, now Athena is, uh, helping is, uh, guiding this dude's arrow. Now, uh, what's his name? Diomedes. Now he's just like carving a bloody Canyon through, through the Trojans. And it's, you're not as much in their head. It's more just like, Oh yeah, this dude's dead. Now this guy killed him. Now this guy's dead. And this, this person killed him. Uh, and, I could see why I could see the advantages to that because you kind of do want to convey the the chaos of of like a war zone, but also, especially if uh, if if epic poetry isn't super your thing, like it is with me, 
uh, it can be kind of jarring, just sort of like going around like, wait, what? Where did this person come from? Why are who, who are we following? Why are they dying? What's happening? Uh, I, I get that. Yeah, I, I unless you're... prefer to stay in uh, prefer to stay in one character and then just sort of grow attached to them instead of like flying all over the place. Yeah, I mean that's my that preference as well. It's. I think that it fits modern tastes. Uh, I like being very close to the characters. Um, however, I, I do think there is part of me that likes that zoom out. Um, I'm going to see if I can find it here. Yeah, I think I, I have it because I quoted it in an essay. So I'm going to um, read a little bit from that um, novel I mentioned by Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian, if you will indulge me to do so. Um, and yeah. this, yeah, this comes from a, a scene of essentially just people crossing the desert at night. Um, and I don't think you can get away with doing this except for third omniscient. And I think that the fact that it's third objective helps. So without further ado, I'll, I'll hopefully not mess this up because it's kind of hard to read. That night they rode through a region electric and wild where strange shapes of soft blue fire ran over the metal of the horse's trappings and the wagon wheels rolled in hoops of fire and little shapes of pale blue light came to perch in the ears of the horses and in the beards of the men. And that's just like a little bit because it, it goes on, but there's just them traveling through the desert at night with this heat lightning. But the author has this, or the author, the uh, narrator has this space where he can kind of wax poetic on what's happening um, in the, like he said, in the distance, uh, really, let's say, indulging in the figurative language in a way that's, it gets more and more difficult the more the language is meant to represent the character involved. Because at that point, even at third limited, the uh, the narrator is like, if the, if the character whose perspective we're limited to is like a poet, it's like, okay. But like you start to ask, would they be kind of thinking in these terms, right? Like if they're, if you know, they're not a particularly uh, well-educated or eloquent individual, um, and so there is a, a degree of freedom you can obtain in terms of just the uh, the way that you're composing what you're writing in Third Omniscient that uh, I think it's, it's difficult. It's like there's a high learning curve. It's easy to do badly, um, which I, and also I think it's, there's a high reading curve as well. People don't really consider this very often. Um, but you had mentioned before, like if someone has a problem, like maybe they should just like go for a walk. Like, like maybe it's you, bro. Maybe like you're just you need a break. Um, I think that that's kind of the case with reading. Sometimes uh, it, it it becomes overwhelming. Just come back to it when you're when you're ready to take more. But that's been third uh, omniscient. Um, we even got a little bit of objectivity there. Oh, by the way, I should ask, uh, what did you think of that little excerpt? Did that communicate what I was trying to point out that you could do or did it? Did when, I, did I fluff? when you said, um, that people usually don't wax poetic like that, I thought you totally hit the nail on the head because that read like a poem. <laughs> uh, yeah. And the whole book is that, 
So <laughs> like the whole book is, is that uh, like ad nauseum, which is what I love, but uh, it does make it hard, right? It does make it hard on readers often. Um, I've, I've written even like a short story that's essentially supposed to be like a like poetic uh, bardic pseudo self-insert Conan the Barbarian type of figure, but he narrates in, in first person, but he narrates like that. So like, as you know, if a giant mechanical, uh, it's a steampunk engine of war comes out of a mountainside and starts firing Maxim guns at a, like a posse of like essentially pseudo cowboys, uh, he describes it like a dragon coming out and breathing fire of lead and like the ground, like tremoring. And it, it, it sounds like it's literally, if you're, if you're reading it and you're not paying attention, um, you might actually think it this thing is actually a dragon and it's actually breathing fire because you'll miss the fact that like no the narrator is narrating in metaphor right now so it's it's definitely something particularly if you get away from third like you get away from third person the the reader is very likely to to get stuck on the metaphor as Joseph Campbell might say um, but uh we run long. I do want to talk about tense a little bit, um, if you are prepared to, to talk about tense, because um, past and present tense can change a lot of the dynamics in the type of storytelling So uh, that we just described, whether it's first uh, or third, because again, no one writes in second person, really, except for me in my little nobody's want smoke child choose your adventure books, but uh, which you can help by supporting my Kickstarter mid mid podcast <laughs> shill uh but yeah what's your experience writing in uh past tense or present tense do you do one or the other have you tried both uh same with pov i have tried both um my novel trilogy is in past tense and then vampire mall cop is in present um i might be a bit biased because i'm closer to vampire mall cop as a project i've been working on it way more and like way more recently, but I am having a lot of fun with present tense. I like how, especially because um, he does a lot of like monster fighting in it. There's there's some there are little actiony bits, and in present tense, you're closer to that. It's more intense because it's not just like oh yeah, I punched him, and then just because it is in past tense implies that like it's over already and that it went well because you're telling us about it um whereas there's a little bit of uncertainty in if it's in first person because you're just like oh this is happening now what's what's gonna happen next um but i i might just be biased <laughs> uh no no i think because i had uh, a similar experience where I, my prior work i mentioned salt sand of blood um that was third mostly third i did a weird switch where the narrator reveals that he's in the story like halfway through the story um or really two-thirds but uh but mostly it was past tense third limited right uh and in past tense tell me if you felt the same way so when i first started writing i was attracted to it because it felt more natural I felt like I wanted to tell a story and that's really how you told a story, right? I, I almost had this image of, you know, when you sit around a campfire and you're you're telling a, a story and you're trying to grip people, 
it's always past tense. Like you don't tell, it, it seems unnatural. I've read books uh, I that were in particularly first person present tense where I felt like I, I really had to force my way past it at first. But then I was encouraged in grad school to to try something different because it was uncomfortable. And after playing with first person and particularly playing with first person present tense, I found exactly what you found. Like there is a sense of closeness and urgency, uh, particularly in regard with how sensitive you can make the reader to the stakes, right? So like even a small thing that's at stake to the to the narrative character can be can seem really big and important when you're in first person, but definitely when you're in present tense, because it's like right now, you're about to lose whatever thing you don't want to lose right now. Do you, did, did, that, did that describe your uh, you know, transition from your prior works to Vampire Ball Cop? A little bit. I think um, third person is definitely easier to read, but first person is easier to write. Um, because that's first person is how everybody talks. So you're already pretty much an expert in third person if you've just like told somebody about your day. Um, whereas third person, it does require a bit more like focus, especially if you need to tell something that's like past past tense, then you've got to keep all of like the this had happened and this happened clear. I don't remember if there's a word for that in English or not, but I think in Latin it's called pluperfect tense. It's been years since I took Latin. Yeah, past perfect. Um, past perfect in English and then pluperfect in, I guess, other languages. But yeah, then, then there's like that. So like if a character is talking about something that had happened in the past while the story is already being told in past tense, then there's like that whole thing that you got to keep clear. Um, I definitely, I, I don't even know why it's easier to read uh, past tense. I guess it just is because I have struggled on a first person present tense story before. Um, it was, it was a YA novel. I don't know if that's the reason that I didn't like it or if it was because <laughs> of the the tense but i remember the tense sticking out to me and being really annoyed by it um but yes <laughs> yeah. yeah well i i did again i had that that experience um i i became able to let it go and maybe it was because my initial things were the the writing wasn't that great like i remember my first exposure were the uh the hunger games novels and sometimes those can get kind of egregiously slow uh particularly as you get into the second and third one. Uh, but those were present, like first person present tense. First, it was like really unnatural to read because like no one talks like that. Um, like they'll talk first person past tense all day, but first person present tense, like the guy who does that is like the guy walking around narrating his life. Um, and you stay very far away from that guy. Uh, but once, once I was able to get past it and accept okay i'm going along for a ride that like this isn't the same experience as me being told a story where i get to um let's say 
I get, I'm privy to everything. It's more like, okay, I'm willing to now embody this character and really sit right, really close. Like my face is pressed up against the glass close. And I do think that that takes some getting used to, but definitely I found, um, after writing in it for a while, um, and then going back and reading it, I really enjoy it. Uh, again, because you can't you can't beat that sense of urgency, that closeness to the stakes, the psychological closeness, and immediacy, and everything that comes comes with present tense. Uh, I have actually. Uh, have you ever had a chance to play around with third present tense? I haven't. I've considered it, but I'm just like, nah, nobody really does that. <laughs> No, it's weird, right? Because that's more natural than first present. Like no one does first present, but you might actually describe someone doing something as they're doing it. Like that actually happens. Do you have any idea why that might be? Like that is a good question. Like why the hell does nobody write in third present? hmm. Yeah, that's a head scratcher. I don't know. You there in the comments listening to this, let us know um, if, if maybe we just haven't read anything and there, there's like a ton of books that are third present tense. But other than my ghostwriting piece, like I decided to do that one in um, in third person uh, limited present tense because I, I like I said, I enjoy writing present tense so much like it just it got slow when I put it in past tense. So I was like, nah, screw it. We're holding present. But yeah, no one does that. Um, but yeah, you get all the same benefits that you get writing in present tense, first person. So I think you listeners out there, if you happen to also be fellow authors, give it a try in like a piece of flash fiction or a short story something or something. Uh, see how third present tense goes for you. See if you like it. I definitely do. All right. Ooh, I think we... Go ahead. All right. What, what was that? <laughs> Oh, sorry, sorry. I thought you were going to say something else. So I think we've we've stretched just about as far uh, we can on the point of perspective. Is there anything that you wanted to cover or talk about uh, in regard to this topic, Molly? Before we wrap things up, um, I had my little list of notes, and we hit everything I had already. So I think I'm good. Yeah, I think so. That was a good conversation. I enjoyed this quite a bit. So do you out there listening, make sure that you remember point of view and narrative perspective. They are connected, but they're not the same. Remember, point of view, where the storyteller is, narrative perspective, who is telling the story, right? And if, and go back and listen to that little cute thing where you've got one person telling another person telling another person, because that's magical. And I want that to spread all over the internet. That's All right, great. Guys. It does need to spread. <laughs> yeah, please do. Please share that. Steal it. You can even in Molly, if you pretend it was you, I won't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, I, I really won't because I didn't come with it either. Uh, I think the guy's name was like Matt Ballmer. I could, I have his, like his, not his memoir, but it's like a collection of essays of his, which are also very good. Um, I should really have his name. <laughs> I apologize that I don't. Uh, but let's go ahead and wrap things up. So before we go, um, again, I'm going to send you guys over to wildoutlet.com. Check out the Kickstarter campaign. Help me pay these artists so I could commission their work. 
um, so that we can get these book covers on there. So I could put out the story. So you'll get the stories. They'll get to actually make money on their passion, which is art, uh, which I would really like to be able to help them do. And I'm sure that you would love to help them do that as well. And make sure you go check out Molly's work, right? So you're on minds.com and uh, go ahead and pitch your website again. Yes, I am on minds.com as Molly underscore B. And then my website is mollyb.dot.blog.actual.wordpress.com. And that's where you'll find uh, all of my Vampire Mall Cop, all of my book reviews, and then also some other weird assorted things. Like I think I wrote an article about fish tank plants one time. And then there's the weird uh, short story thing about the pirate leprechaun gang war. But that's not what we're talking about. So I'll, I'll just leave that in for intrigue purposes. That's not we should have been show. talking about. We should have been talking about that. That sounds amazing. Le- <laughs> wait, lepre- uh, was a leprechaun gang war? Leprechaun pirate gang war. Uh, yeah. That that sounds amazing. Go check that out, guys, over at uh, Molly's website. All right, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, that was the, the greatest ending we could have hoped for. Uh, leprechauns, pirates, go to war. Uh, see you guys next time.